You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Matt, and Imam Imran Akram. So, today... Monday. How do you find? Uh, well, how how are you feeling, Imran? Let's let's start off with that. Yeah, it's good. Peace be upon and uh, to all of my uh, over listeners. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, great. Um, feeling good. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of God. And uh, yeah, today we have got um, two very you know um, um, current topics. And uh, uh, in the first hour, we inshallah, God willing, we'll talking about um, raising boys and healthy masculinity. And in the second hour. We we're talking about the salvation and what the concept about about the uh, salvation um, in different religion and uh, um, God willing will inshallah uh, giving some of the concepts and some of the ideas of uh, salvation in different religions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean obviously two amazing uh, topics for our Monday uh, Monday afternoon listeners out there. But uh, I wouldn't say more importantly, but on a different vein, mm-hmm. uh, we're one week into the World Cup now, yeah. so it's getting exciting. What's the, what's been the biggest upset or you know weirdest result? I think I think for me, Saudi Arabia was uh, Argentina. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a big uh, it's a big um, upset in my yeah. opinion, and the reaction um, we're getting from the Saudi Arabians, it's, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're going absolutely bonkers, aren't they, really? Uh, You'd think that they were born to it, really. Uh, I I think for myself, it was uh, uh, Germany. Germany being beaten by South Korea. Was it South Korea? Japan. Uh, Japan, Japan, sorry. Japan Japan beating uh, Germany. So that was a big upset. And uh, I actually watched uh, a must-win game Mm -hmm. uh, that they had to. um, I think... There is uh, a chance that they can get in mathematically, uh, but still to see these like uh, big guns, uh, Germany just really you think yeah they're as certain to actually at least progress out of the group stages right absolutely uh, but I'm, stumbling yeah I mean um, America played very good against England as well and uh, I wasn't you know um, accepting from them that they they're quite good team in my opinion who sorry America. Yes, they're yeah. not bad actually. Yeah, yeah. Not bad. I suppose you know Beckham's got a lot of things to uh, to 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 own up to, and mm-hmm. one of them is actually I suppose him being a, a big supporter of the MLS out in America. Right. But uh, yeah, it seems to be brewing nicely. The first uh, week has gone by. Yeah, a couple of uh, strong favourites there. I mean the Brazil. I mean Brazil are playing again tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know their performance uh, in their first game was amazing. The two goals from Richarlison, uh, a bit of class actually, yeah. and a bit bit kind of. When I was watching highlights of that game, mm-hmm. uh, reminded me of uh, Brazilian teams of the past. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the kind of lo- lovely passing, lovely skill, and uh, yeah, the beautiful game once again. Mm-hmm. So, yes, and our fingers crossed. Obviously, for England, Wales tomorrow. Yeah. So that's a big match. It's going to be a big match, yes. Yeah, I think England are going to uh, qualify regardless, mm-hmm. even if they lose. I think um, they have to lose. If, say, for instance, they were to lose, they have to lose by more than four goals gotcha. yeah, mm-hmm. to not actually qualify. But mm-hmm. here's fingers crossed that they uh, you know, have, a, have, a, have, a, you know, have a win 
under their belts, <laughs> moving in to mm. the next stages. But uh, that was our kind of brief uh, World Cup roundup, really. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, we should do that uh, uh, given given the, uh, the 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 situation. But anyway, uh, we digress, or I digress. Uh, let's jump into our first topic of the day, which is raising boys uh, and giving them a healthy masculinity. So you know. What do we mean by healthy masculinity? I suppose, you know, there's a term which mm-hmm. is circulating nowadays: uh, toxic masculinity, and that term uh, is, you know, circulating and being increasingly discussed on social media. Uh, but how can we differentiate between toxic and healthy masculinity? I mean, what is the meaning behind? These terms. So, you know, we're going to be discussing these two terms, mm-hmm. and we're going to delve into how you know we can raise boys so that they're able to embrace you know their own masculinity in a healthy way mm-hmm. and fulfil their roles uh, or their role as men in you know today's society. Um, you know, is there anything in Islam just to give us a pointer on this, Imran? Yeah. So um, we are very lucky, you know, to have a um, have a um, very good example in front of us in in the. Um, as a as a as a life of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So um, the, the the teaching of Islam, which was revealed to the Holy Prophet, um, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, provides us with guidance regarding every matter. Even if even every one of us um, were to act upon this teaching, a beautiful society could be formed. Uh, there are countless commandments in the Holy Quran. However, Allah the Almighty says, "Verily, you have." in the Prophet of Allah, an excellent model. Thus the true essence um, can only be achieved if we put this model before us in every big and small matter. So, mm. so being a Muslim, is, uh, um, uh, I mean, uh, we are very lucky to have this um, excellent example in front yeah, of role us. Model. Yeah, role model. Straight away, yeah. yeah. So, um, you yeah, know, we've been talking. Well, we've been talking, but this this idea of toxic masculinity. I mean, let's 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 uh, do a, a, com- a comparison. You know, toxic masculinity mm-hmm. versus a healthy masculinity. Now, uh, you know, what do these terms actually mean? Uh, toxic masculinity uh, is a system that reinforces male superiority by encouraging males to maintain their sense of power uh, by the use of dominance, violence and control. Uh, Whereas uh, healthy masculinity is the idea that men can be emotionally expressive without feeling emasculated Mm -hmm. uh, and do not feel the need to have a sense of superiority over others. Now some men have been taught from a young age uh, that uh, they need to be dominant and authoritative and therefore grow up using these things uh, unfortunately these, these these tools like violence and manipulation to achieve uh, that uh, that result really that that dominance mm-hmm. um, so you know what Imran does uh, healthy masculinity actually look like then so um, basically um, in Islam we believe that Yes, uh, men and women have different roles, but uh, no one is not uh, no one is not superior over the others. Mm-hmm. And the fourth caliph of um, the Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmad, uh, he said um, that men have the role of being the breadwinner and providing uh, for their wives and children. Such separation of roles is intended in Islam to lead to a harmonious family life that brings pleasure and comfort for the whole. F- for the whole family and ultimately contributes to social peace. 
So I think um, being being um, being a Muslim or being Ahmadi Muslim, we have this guidance. And uh, um, in Islam, obviously, we don't believe that uh, you know um, that you know um, women and men are. Uh, or any of other, they are superior to each other. We believe mm-hmm. that they have different roles in society, mm-hmm. and we believe that according to that, Islam teaches uh, to us. And mm-hmm. obviously, um, um, through that way, uh, we can uh, we can see how one man should act towards woman. Mm-hmm. And you know, we are obviously this uh, particular topic that we're discussing today is regarding male masculinity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know the the raising of boys in the home. But uh, if we extrapolate what uh, you know, Imam Ikram was like just telling us all then, mm-hmm. is that actually, uh, as a true believer, as a true Muslim believer, I should say, that the only discriminating factor that uh, there lies within being a true Muslim mm-hmm. is not your sex, is not your intelligence, is not your wealth, is not your color, race, or creed. The only discriminating factor in the eyes of God, really, is your righteousness, your taqwa. Sure. So, therefore, you know, if you use that as the rule of thumb to judge someone, or not, sorry, I shouldn't say judge someone, but as, uh, as, as a yardstick, as to how one should be mm-hmm. your level of righteousness then it's irrespective of you know are males superior to females are females superior to, to males True. it invalidates that that argument mm-hmm. straight away yeah True. it takes that uh, off off the table but in terms of you know uh, i was like getting to, to male masculinity uh, what does that actually look like you know so with males i think it's it's always been the case that uh, and I shouldn't pigeonhole males actually because we are two males here mm-hmm. uh, myself and my co-host but you know it's getting embracing our, our feelings mm-hmm. yeah and I think that uh, model has always been the case yeah it's very hard True. for men to articulate their feelings without feeling maybe embarrassed mm-hmm. uh, you know shying away from that fact yeah um, so communication is key uh, and men should be able to communicate freely about how they are feeling and what is bothering them. Now, communication is one of the best ways to f- to, to connect and actually find peace. Now, increasing emotional awareness uh, or intelligence, one would say, as human beings, uh, emotions are a natural part of life. Uh, what is actually important is that our own emotions are actually understood and we know you know, how we, we ourselves feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, a healthy man will be able to understand and control these emotions without letting those emotions rule that person. Uh, being able to be vulnerable even, yeah, to say that, look, you know what, I'm lost or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hurt, right, mm-hmm. is, not, is, is not a failing, okay? I mean, modern mainstream masculinity still embraces the idea that being vulnerable is weak, uh, this is very much supported by the notions that boys are told when growing up, uh, you know, phrases such as, you know, boys don't cry or, you know, man up, uh, suck it in, get over it, yeah. Um, but this is why so many fe- men feel that their uh, self-expression or emotions will make them actually less of a man. Now, I think uh, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, Hazrat Mirza Mazra Ahmad, uh, may Allah strengthen his hand, has said something regarding this, uh, Imran. 
Yeah. Um, so um, before that, I want to quote uh, the verse of the okay. Holy Quran: "Is that surely a men who submit themselves to God and women who submit themselves to Him, and believing men and believing women, and obedient men and obedient women, and um, truthful men and truthful women, and men uh, steadfast in their faith and steadfast women, and men who are humble and women who are humble, and men who." Uh, give arms and women who give arms and men who fast and women who fast and men who guard their chastity and women who guard their chastity and, me and men who remember Allah much and women who remember Allah him Allah has prepared for all of them forgiveness and a great reward so mm -hmm. here the Holy Quran you know clearly state that um, stating that men and women are both absolutely and um, clearly equal in their status in front of God so obviously, um, if we, um, you know, um, and the acceptation of the reward that they um, that they are to receive for him. So the length of the verse uh, with the um, specific mention of 10 different qualities only goes to, you know, show how gravely important this subjects in the Holy Quran and Islam considered uh, men and women um, um, equal uh, in, mm -hmm. in, in, in this verse. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So we were talking about um, the fifth caliph. Um, mm. Can I just stop you there, Imran? Yeah. Mm. We, we'll, we'll go back to that because mm. we've actually got our first guest on on uh, on hold currently. So uh, we're joined this afternoon by Terry Kruppers, uh who is Professor Emeritus at the Wright Institute, a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. Um, and uh, you know he's going to be talking with us regarding masculinity is linked to mental health and actually in prisons. Uh, peace be upon you, Terry. Uh, thank you for joining us this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. Thank you. A pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much. Now um, we're talking about you know uh, our topic today is raising uh, or parenting and raising boys in a in a proper way. You know, avoiding these issues of toxic masculinity. Now, how would you define masculinity? Well, basically, masculinity is the social expectations of what it means to be a man that, are, that involves roles, behaviors, attributes. Um, and it, they're seen as characteristic of men. Um, there's a couple of other terms that should be thrown in. You mentioned one, toxic masculinity, which mm -hmm. is a particular version of masculinity and not a desirable one. Mm -hmm. The other is hege hegemonic masculinity. Right. Masculinity is not one size fits all. There are different ways to be a man. And at any given moment in history, a certain form of masculinity uh, dominates, and that's what's called hegemonic masculinity. It's the form of masculinity that takes over for one historical moment. Okay, and what would you feel, I mean, hegemonic masculinity, what would that, uh, well, which type of masculinity is currently dominant then? Um, I, I, I In don't your think opinion. Right. I don't think it's quite dominant at the moment, but we've just seen in the United States a period where toxic masculinity was held up as the model, mm -hmm. and that was by our president, President Trump. Your previous who was president. Constantly, yes, <laughs> who was constantly uh, insulting any opponent mm -hmm. as weak or, yeah. or unmanly and sort of bragging about how manly he was, which meant 
he didn't reason things out. He just kind of uh, just charged out. ahead, mm -hmm. never backed down. And these became the model for a very uh, conservative right-wing uh, group of uh, people in the United States. Um, and so at that moment in history, the hegemonic masculinity, in other words, the ideal that was projected by our central uh, political figure, the president, mm -hmm. was toxic. Mm. So when you said toxic masculinity is the current form, yes, that is a big concern that the toxic form of masculinity, for instance, bullying other people, mm -hmm. being uncaring and unempathic, that has a tendency to rise into the hegemonic status. Mm -hmm. But that's not, a, that's not a, uh, uh, the conclusion. We have a struggle going on. So, for instance, in the uh, teachers working with kids to stop bullying, that's a direct confrontation with toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. Bullying is not inherently male. There's nothing uh, about being a man that requires one to be a bully. But we have to do some social campaigning to stop bullying, and that starts very young, mm -hmm. so that men don't learn as they're growing up. They don't learn that they have to oppress other people in mm -hmm. order to be strong and uh, such. Mm -hmm. so, Terry, um, um, what role does masculinity play in prisons? You know, we have uh, my um, psychiatric uh, work has been a lot in the prisons. I testify as an expert in class action lawsuits to improve prison conditions. Um, there's been a mass incarceration in the United States. The United States has 5% of the world's population, 25% of prisoners. So a lot of people have been thrown into prison. Typically, these are disadvantaged people. Typically, they're people of color, particularly black. African-Americans make up a, almost 50% of prisoners in the United States. Now, when one is in prison, one is deprived of all expressions of power. Everything has been taken away. Family, uh, personal property, status in society. There's almost nothing left. And what we get is that in men's prisons, men fight physically to express their dominance, as mm -hmm. if to say, I am human, I have some power, look, I can beat up this other man, I can rape him. Mm -hmm. And that's a dreadful, dark scenario in our prisons in the United States, but I think around the world. And it has a gendered form. That is, as men climb, the hegemonic masculinity in prison is the physically very tough an uncaring man who's willing to hurt someone. That's the hegemonic form of masculinity in prison. Not the only form of masculinity, and it can be defeated. But that man then expresses his domination over other men, and as he does so, he characterizes the other as, first of all, weak, mm -hmm. and then a sissy or a coward, and then it gets gendered as a punk or queer, mm -hmm. or, and the worst is, a girl, calling mm -hmm. a man a girl. Mm -hmm. Masculinity it, it is a very fragile concept, and as different from women, women are, are oppressed and they have a lot of pain in their life, but they don't risk losing the uh, sense of being a woman, mm -hmm. whereas men, unlike women, can lose the sense of being a man 
and that's by being defeated and called a sissy, a punk, a woman. Um, so the demeaning of the enemy in prison is an exaggerated version of something that goes on out in the world. Mm -hmm. But the dominant men tend to demean the weaker men uh, as feminine in some way. Mm -hmm. So they, uh, what you're saying is that uh, within the prison system, uh, when you reach the top, uh, as a top dog, let's say, uh, as a euphemism, uh, to rule, uh, I say, you know, rule, but uh, in terms of the prison uh, system, uh, that you are, you know, the number one, the leader. And then that in itself, uh, you have to then maintain that, that, that system then that's brought you there. So even if, say, for instance, so the, how would you then, uh, Professor, yeah, how would you break that, 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 that cycle? Well, that's a very good question. And my position in all of my expert testimony and my writing is that what goes on in prison is a little window into what goes on in the larger society. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it's, ex it's exaggerated. You take away the actual monetary value that people attain, and you take away their sort of legitimate status in society. Mm. And you it, leave it becomes them more prison yard. Yeah, it becomes more elemental, doesn't it? It's more kind of brutal kind of that's way right. of existence. That's, that's that's right. And it looks to me when I walk on a prison yard or I witness a fight of one kind or another, like I'm back in middle school. Exactly. It's the way boys. It's the way boys behave. They challenge mm. each other. They call each other a chicken if they're unwilling to fight. They, they uh, express their dominance. That's where toxic masculinity comes in. In prison, toxic masculinity is the only way left to express oneself as a human being or as a powerful person. So you're left with only toxic masculinity. That gives us a clue about what's going on in society. I would answer your question by saying the way to reverse this dominance hierarchy is to give everybody a fair chance in prison. Mm -hmm. Give them a way to earn their way out of prison. I'd like to see us abolish prisons altogether and, and use social, uh, social programs to help people uh, succeed in their lives. But that's a long-range vision. Mm. In the moment, what we need to do is give prisoners a chance to go straight, to get out of prison and be free, and we need to give them the preparation they require to succeed in society. When you give people in prison a, a meaningful vocational training or education or a job that pays and that, where they're doing something that'll work when they get out of prison, they don't take part in the gladiator fights that are going on. Mm -hmm. they're, they're too unwilling to lose what they have and what bodes well for their future. Therefore, they don't take part in these obnoxious fights and rapes that go on in the prison. Well, mm. that's a model for all of us. A toxic masculinity would be much less of a problem in society if everybody had a chance, mm -hmm. if we leveled the playing field, and that people felt as a worthy human being and a man that I can succeed with my life, I can be kind to my neighbors, I can take care of my family, and if people had the ability to do that, that would just take the uh, power out of toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, as, as you were uh, talking about how to 
I suppose, uh, dissipate and dismantle this idea, this hegemonic uh, masculinity and thus toxic masculinity. As I thinking, well, what would be the the silver bullet the that that would get through? And obviously, uh, you've you pointed to the long term, um, I suppose, change in government policy, whether it be U.S. policy or here in the U.K., which is that prisons are for incarceration and for, uh, you know, for um, to, to keep people or to keep criminals off the street, uh, whereas, um, you know, different types of uh, incarceration uh, or prison systems, I should say, say, for instance, if I think of Norway's uh, prison system, they're much in more geared to actually providing, and the word I was thinking of, education uh, yes. for their inmates, which actually, like you said, gives uh, the 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 um, the prisoner a, a chance at maybe a second life. Really, once you know their period of incarceration is finished. Yes, you know. Human beings have a lot of potential. Uh, they have potential to be kind, loving, empathic, raise children, be a wonderful parent. And they have the potential to fight viciously with each other, have a lot of ambition, and try to climb to the top without caring what happens to other people. Those are two different directions to develop human beings. And the choice of which one dominates is a historical phenomena, and we do it differently at different times. Again, referring to the ex-president of the United States, Donald Trump, um, there's a movement in the United States called MAGA, Make America Great Again. And it tends to be the most right-wing people in the country. Now, it happens empirically to be the case that that group of people is much less well-educated mm. than the liberal or the democratic or the non-MAGA voters. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a stark correlation. Yes, I agree with you. Edu widespread education, giving everybody access to education, would decrease toxic masculinity. And we'd see it in every regard. We'd see it as an end in the United States to what are typically white supremacist groups. Mm -hmm. What's happening is that a certain segment of the white population is very threatened by the fact that our demographics are changing and the United States, and I think this is true of the United Kingdom too, is becoming a majority minority. Mm. And they're very threatened by that. So that what rises is the Ku Klux Klan mentality, which played a big part in the Donald Trump presidency. Mm. And that is that we, white people, are superior. Well, there's toxic masculinity. The, the, the place that, that superiority shows itself is in beating up on, on, on hate crimes where uh, gay people, black people, uh, Latinx people mm -hmm. are um, violently persecuted by the uh, white supremacists. Mm -hmm. Well, this does not need to happen. Now, this is an example of hegemonic masculinity changing with history. This does not need to happen. Mm -hmm. If everybody was given an education, who wanted an education, and everyone had an opportunity to work for decent income and sort of have a quality life with their family, we wouldn't have right-wing thugs mm -hmm. kind of coming out and, you know, with their guns on their hip and such. No one would need to do that. 
Mm. Well, as I said, that, that's true in prison. So prison, in a way, is an experiment. We mm. get people in prison because they've done something wrong. They've broken the law and they've been convicted. Now, what happens is that the public takes out their vengeance on those people. They look at those people as heinous criminals. They say, lock them up and throw away the key. They give them long sentences. And my area of emphasis has been solitary confinement, which is a very dark prison uh, practice. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't need to be that way. Mm. What would happen if, if instead of uh, looking at how can we punish these people more, which just becomes an opportunity for people to express their rage and their need for vengeance, um, what, what if uh, what we did was to say, let's look at what we do to people in prison and let's try to make sure that what we do to people while they're locked up makes them less likely to return to drugs and crime when they got out rather than more likely. Now, if we did that, we would end crowding in prison because crowding with the mass incarceration in the United States, the prisons have been filled to overflowing, so they're at three and four times their capacity. What if we let a lot of those people out? You know, not everybody in prison is dangerous to society. And an awful huge percentage of those people could be freed and given some job training and jobs, and society would be no less safe, but the prisons would not be crowded. Mm. Instead of doing that, what the authorities did is they started locking people up inside prison. They did solitary confinement, segregation, the whole. Um, and uh, they put people in a cell by themselves almost 24 hours a day for months or many years. Some people have been in solitary confinement for decades in what are called supermax prisons mm -hmm. in the United States where everybody's in a cell by themselves, there's nothing going on in the common space. People fall apart psychiatrically if they're in a cell by themselves. Human beings need social connection, they need mm -hmm. meaningful activities. Taking that away from prisoners is cynical and extremely cruel and breaks them. Mm -hmm. So then what happens is the opposite of why solitary confinement was enforced. That is, they enforce solitary confinement to, to make the prison safe and ultimately to make society face, uh, safe. But what happens is the people in solitary are broken mm -hmm. and they don't have the social skills after they get out of solitary. I call this the decimation of life skills. Mm -hmm. They no longer know how to get along with people it's, and it's, how to advance their position I mean, in, in a sort of... Uh, yeah, I mean, situation. I mean, Terry, that sounds like, um, you know, having put them into supermax, that uh, effectively you're robbing them of their uh, humanity uh, to, to, that, to that, an that, extent. Yes, and then that makes them more likely, not less likely, to return to drugs and crime, mm. which is what, a, a very foolhardy social strategy. So back to the uh, question of toxic masculinity. I think toxic masculinity rises in terms of the proportion of men who are captivated by toxic masculinity. That grows the more inequitable the distribution of wealth. Mm -hmm. So people at the bottom of the economic hierarchy, uh, they become desperate, and toxic masculinity offers them, just as in prison, the guy that can beat up other people and be the tough guy on the yard. Mm -hmm. Out in society, that's true. 
unkindness towards disadvantaged people becomes a way to say, well, at least I'm not disadvantaged in that way. I'm not black. I'm not poor. I can read, whatever. And so what happens is that the uh, form of masculinity becomes consistent with domination and oppression of those at the bottom of the heap. Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost like you you if you are at the bottom of the heap, uh, in your words, in normal society, uh, and then you commit a crime, and then actually just by dint of being physically strong, you may well end up on top of the heap within the prison community. That's that's right. In another kind of heap, mm. in in another dominance hierarchy. Now. We don't want that. We don't mm. want. I, I don't. I don't want to be the top dog in prison. I don't want to be in prison. <laughs> <So> <laughs> exactly. No. We, <laughs> none of us do, Terry. None of us do. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So what we need to do is level the playing field, mm. so that p- people don't resent the way they are have-nots. Mm-hmm. And it's it, the resentment being a have-not that feeds the gender issue of toxic masculinity. So the gender sort of is, is part of our cultural existence, mm-hmm. and it's a way we express things, but I think what's being expressed is inadequacy and powerlessness, mm-hmm. which is then compensated by being in prison, a tough guy who beats up others, mm-hmm. but out in society, it's an uncaring, rich and powerful person who, who doesn't think that the disadvantaged people deserve a fair chance. Mm, exactly. Well, Terry, it's been a pleasure uh, having you on the show today. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Thank you. Great pleasure talking you. with you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. 0208 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And uh, just quickly, going back, uh, Imran, I'm sure, mm-hmm. uh, regarding... You know, masculinity. Um, you know, uh, the current, I should say, the current, uh, the current, uh, His Holiness, the current uh, Khalifa of the uh, worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, in an address to the actual Ahmadiyya, uh, Ahmadiyya the Women's Association, mm-hmm. uh, had said something regarding this. Yeah. Are you able to relate that to our listeners? Sure. So, um, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, um, has said that Allah the Almighty has said that he has created um, a woman in the same way that he created men. And this is from chapter 4, verse 2 of the Holy Quran. It becomes clear that Allah has made the hearts and minds of women in the same way that he has created the hearts and minds of men. So, um, uh, another, um, in another paragraph, he says that um, whether due to a uh, due to a um, superiority complex or an inferiority complex, at times men have considered themselves to be intrinsically different uh, to women, or women have considered themselves inherently uh, different to men. However, the Holy Quran has categorically refused this concept by saying that men and women are of the same kind. It has clarified it has um, uh, clarified that men and women have the have the same feeling and emotion. So from this we can see that in Islam we believe that uh, men and women are made equal and that uh, includes their emotions. And if Islam says that uh, men and women experience the same emotion and feeling, then why would um, they do not be able to deal with their emotions 
in the same way. Mm. Mm, so exactly. So yeah. So healthy masculinity is also include uh, regard for the um, emotions and feeling of other and being mindful of not um, hurting one's feeling. Mm. So uh, on that note, we're joined by our, the next guest of the day, Michael Carley. Now Michael's the author of Know My Name, uh, People Like That, and so on. So he's joining us today to talk about parenting and masculinity, uh, and linking that with fem- feminism and society as a whole. Uh, peace be upon you, Michael. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So based on this topic of masculinity, as someone who lives with his son, uh, how should, uh, in your opinion, parents go about raising their boys the right way and hence actually promoting this healthy masculinity as opposed to you know, this toxic, uh, hegemonic uh, masculinity that we were talking about earlier with Terry? Yes, I, I think um, really the, the most important thing is to just be very open um, and, and to let your, your child lead the way. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a, a son, they, there's not just one way of being masculine or of being a man. Um, and so there's, you, know, you can teach them um, you know, respect, you teach them you know, courtesy, you teach them all the same things that you would teach a girl, but you don't box them in. You know, I, I have a friend, Mark Green, who, who's, who uh, wrote this uh, wonderful book, uh, Remaking Manhood, and he's talked about this a lot, and, and he talks about what he calls man box culture, where, where we, we kind of force men into certain, you know, you can only express certain emotions, you can only engage in certain activities, sports are good, but, but you know, knitting is not a yeah, manly activity. not painting, stuff like that. Yes, yeah, mm. so, you know, the thing is to, to be very open with your kids about what kinds of things that that they let them do what let them lead the way mm-hmm. let them find their own way and being masculine isn't about rejecting all things feminine it's about um you know finding what you what you love to do what you love to be and going out and, and doing that mm-hmm. so what you're saying is that not to label things as per se you know whether it be of a feminine ilk or a masculine ilk mm-hmm. It's just, uh, say, for instance, an activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, that absolutely. Way. So, I mean, there are some things that we've always, you know, labeled as, as more masculine or feminine. And a lot of that is false because there's so much overlap between the two. And, and um, you know, women can love things that we've traditionally called, called male. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we've found, of course, in recent decades, women can be very good at sports, for example. Um, and uh, men can be good at, at activities that we previously thought were, were uh, more feminine. And so if you just approach it with an open mind and don't place shame on one gender for, for doing something that belongs, you know, we, we used to think belonged to, to the others, mm-hmm. then um, I think we'll, we'll be, you know, raising our sons and, and daughters in, in a more healthy way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, um, could single mothers uh, with son be a threat or benefit to healthy masculinity? If so, in what ways? Well, I, you know, they could be either, but I, you know, I don't think they're they're really primarily a threat. I think you know they um, mothers teach sons lots of lots of important things, and um, there's there are ways that single mothers can teach their sons things that um, you know the you know fathers haven't oft, often thought of. Uh, I was talking with a single mother friend here a while back, and 
um, she told me, you know, when she was growing up and, and, you know, got somewhere around the puberty stage, I guess, and her father gave her a date, uh, you know, a rape prevention book complete with a rape whistle that, to use if she needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had never seen anything like that for boys, nothing about how to prevent rape um, or prevent um, any kind of assault or or, you know, the threats that, that um, girls face or the boys face. And so I think, you know, women may have a, a somewhat different perspective on things, and um, that's, that's an important one to, to share with our sons. And we, we need to be, you know, talking with them about all, this, all of the, the risks and benefits of, of everything that they're going to encounter. Mm. Because I suppose a, a lot of it is about perspective as well. Um, you know, just as you were like saying, uh, a friend of yours um, had uh, given the rape, or you know, the father had given the daughter uh, a rape kit, and you know, all, th- all the information regarding that once the daughter had reached puberty. Uh, I, I mean, I don't have a daughter; I've got two sons, but I can appreciate the perspective of the father from there as being more of a well, actually, maybe the experience of society in general. I would rather my daughter be prepared regarding this. Yes, yes, and certainly you you want her to to be prepared, and certainly there's there's nothing wrong with you know teaching girls ways to avoid risk and prevent mm-hmm. rape and and everything everything there. We also need to be teaching our sons about not just rape, but about consent, and mm-hmm. you know consent is a healthy thing, and and they have the right to consent or not consent to any you know sexual activity. Um, as well, and they need to respect the 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 consent that that um, the consent or lack of it that they see from others, and mm-hmm. um, that starts very early. One of the things we we um, you know we had, you know people at all often, for example, taught you know toddlers, oh go go hug grandma, go hug everybody goodbye, and all of that. And now we've kind of come to a different perspective, and you know even at a very young age, we need to teach our children that their bodies are their own. Mm-hmm. And you hug someone when you want to hug someone, not because an adult tells you to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these, these things are, are, you know, it's an important part of, of learning respect and learning, you know, the, the things the, that not just, they won't just prevent rape, but they'll, they'll um, have us dealing, men and women dealing with each other in a more mm-hmm. healthy way. Mm-hmm. So do you believe, Michael, that uh, masculinity is then therefore a social construct or it's somehow innate? Well, I, I don't think it's necessarily either or. I mean, I don't think it's entirely a social construct. We certainly know that there are things that are um, a little bit more common to men than women and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the question becomes, you know, how much do we, how do we react to that? Um, it is, there's a lot more overlap than we sometimes want to acknowledge between um, what is male and what is female, and the the perspectives that that we share, um, and but there's also just there's, you know, even even to the extent that the, there are real differences, do we reinforce those differences on a continual basis, and you know, tell our sons to to not do things that are girlish, or or do we um, you know let them find and explore the things that that are healthy for them wherever that may be. Mm, I, th- mm. I think the latter is a, is a more healthy approach. Mm, mm. So, yeah, just let them e- explore, but with, yeah. obviously, parental guidance regarding that issue or yeah, wh- so wherever parent, that I mean, activity is getting can, to you. Yes, and, and parental guidance is important, but, but it should be, you know, in such a way that, that um, 
kids feel open to to be whatever it is they're going to turn out to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Michael, um, um, do you think the the rise of uh, women's um, fight for equality has led uh, to the threat of uh, masculinity, toxic masculinity, in our society today? Um, I what I think is that you know it's it's our roles have changed and i don't think women's equality is a threat to men at all or even really to masculinity it's just we're now trying to find a way to understand what it means to be uh to be male and female in a world where we understand these things a little bit more in a more nuanced way where we understand for example that overlap that that i was mentioning um and you know, when we talk about things like toxic mas- masculinity, people have a tendency to get very defensive very quickly. They think, oh, you're, you're saying that it's bad to be male. And, and no, that's not really what we're saying. We're saying that there's not just one type way to be male. And there, you know, you can, you can be male in any, any way that you want to as long as it's, it's healthy and, and, you know, is in, in a respectful way to other men and to women as well. And so I, I think women's fight for equality it should not be really viewed as a threat. Um, I think it's viewed as a threat if people have this the, a very strict uh, perception of what gender roles should be. And often that pers- perspective, again, I mentioned my friend Mark Green earlier, and that, that perspective is often, uh, often comes from a very uh, you know, dominance-based approach that, that you know, has, had, had been the approach historically. Um, but I don't think it needs to be it going into the future. I think we have a there's a healthier way that we can we can approach things, and um, you know w- the way we think about it now is not the way we're going to think about it in in you know 50 years. We're going hmm. to learn more. As, as but I, I I still think um, Michael that there will always be a time lag with um, concepts and theories to the actual reality that's on on the ground. So um, in terms of women equality. Uh, let's say you know uh, women's equality in the workplace, for instance, uh, and that the you know here in the UK there's a huge gulf between, uh, for instance, the number of CEOs that are in charge uh, who are uh, in charge of um, FTSE 100 companies uh, as as compared to men to start off with, and then when you actually look at the ratio of their pay. It's considerably less. So, you know, I, I, uh, I, I agree with you in the sense that um, this idea for or this idea of uh, women fighting for equality, whether it be in general or in the workplace, whatever it may well be, is really just, uh, I, I suppose, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost like a, you know, just it's it's a non-relevant issue because, and I don't mean non-relevant in that we shouldn't look at equality, of course we should, but actually in terms of if we look at it in respect to uh, you know, male masculinity, it's not even there because actually the males unfortunately still dominate the workplace. Yes, very, very much in many ways, and I think you know there has been an enormous amount of progress mm-hmm. on a number of fronts, including in the workplace. But in in the the ones you mentioned, I think is is one of the areas where we really need to continue to make progress because it's it's in the leadership roles exactly. that we have still la- lagged in promoting women to top leadership positions. Now, I work in education, 
And I have I have worked for more women than men. The president of the college where I work now is a woman. The last president was a woman. But that's not always the case in other places. And, um, you know, you mentioned CEOs. That's exactly one of the areas. Um, another area where we, we often lag is if we're, we're – um, is in STEM fields and, and technology. Mm -hmm. And one of the things is that, that we're learning is, is even as people go through the educational pipeline and learn, the, learn um, these fields, when they get into the jobs, they find what, it, what is sometimes a toxic culture. Um, and sometimes women encounter uh, you know, a culture that, whether it's dominance-based masculinity or bad jokes or sexual harassment, mm. where they end up leaving those jobs before yeah, they otherwise just, would. Yeah, it's just not they, a nice place to work. A, why, why be there? So there, are, there are still some things to work on there. Mm -hmm, exactly. Well, uh, uh, Michael, it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon on The Drive Time Show. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Have a good day. O two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And although I give out the number like that, I do really mean for us you listeners out there to join in. You know, call in with your uh with your thoughts, uh join in the conversation. Um because it is it is quite I mean, we're talking about raising uh boys, but obviously it's it's a bit like actually, Imran, mm -hmm. uh the point that Michael was going on about, you know. Uh, bringing up uh, as an example the father who was, you know, uh, when his daughter had reached puberty, mm -hmm. uh, showing her a rape kit and how she should deal with it. But, you know, it's, and my point being that it's all about perspective because obviously that's pers the perspective of a father looking after their daughter. But also, conversely, um, what Michael's like saying, well, you need to also look at the perspective of the father who's got a son or the mother who's got a son and like saying, look, look at consent as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, the Western society that we live in is like that. And uh, I think that is the problem is that uh, there is this who is better, who has the dominance. Uh, and I think, you know, if we went back to something that we said right at the beginning of the 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 program is that you know if you you know take away all these factors uh i.e. your sex your race your color your creed and you equate uh in terms of your righteousness because that's how you know we in uh, islam as muslims believe right mm -hmm. that uh, in the eyes of god he doesn't really care regarding if you're wealthy, uh, you're, you're a male, and uh, you're old, or whatever, and you're white, and that puts you in a different class than others. He doesn't care about that. He cares about um, if you're righteous, right? So if you actually go back to that credo, that, that idea, that concept, right, that everyone is actually judged on their righteousness, then it would actually you know, overcome all these, these, these ideas of masculine toxic uh, or toxic masculinity. And you wouldn't have these ideas of, oh, is there, is there good or bad masculinity? Or is there good or bad feminine, femininity as Absolutely. well? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think we need to have a role model in front of us and mm -hmm. uh, a guiding, you know, guiding role model. And as, you know, uh, Carrie said that um, um, prisons are a reflection of the society. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and si- I thought similarly, um, the households are a reflection of the society in a, mm-hmm. on a bigger scale as well. Yeah. So I think um, uh, parenting can um, play a crucial role in uh, in raising boys, especially because um, the children are, you know, the reflection of their parents. So I think um, for 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 my listeners, um, I want to um, mention some of the um, rules which the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned and uh, the the moral teaching. I think um, one need to we need to tell our children the moral teaching. And uh, for example, the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that the strong man um, is not the one who wrestles, but the strong man is in fact the one who controls himself in a fit of range. So I think these kind of moral teaching are um, very much needed in, in today's society. And especially um, another saying of the Holy Prophet is the peace and blessing of Allah be upon him that heavens uh, lies uh, beneath the feet of your mother. So that shows that how a woman uh, should treat women and especially, uh, you know, uh, the the, uh, the mothers and um also, the Holy Prophet um, said that, um, you know, respect your children. And uh, he said, Who, whosoever does not show mercy you know, to your young ones or acknowledge the right of, of our elders is not one of us. So I think uh, from the very um, beginning of, of, of uh, the, the children of, uh, in a very young age, uh, if parents um, teach them these kind of moral um, values mm-hmm. and moral teaching, then there shouldn't be any problem like mas- um, toxic masculinity and stuff like that. Mm, yeah, I mean, this is taking the point uh, of our guest Terry Kruppers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it isn't, I, I wouldn't say he said that it's actually, uh, you know, the life environment within a prison mm-hmm. uh, mem- uh, is exactly the same as, say, for instance, in society as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, I my personal take on mm-hmm. what he was mm-hmm. like saying was like it's a microcosm. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit True. because, you know, when you're in prison, you don't have to, like I say, there's no monetary value mm-hmm. because there is no money in mm-hmm. prison, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's, you know, you trade in cigarettes or whatever, mm-hmm. right? But there's no monetary. So there's, if you think about it, the majority of people spend their time making money, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Going to work. You know, and that money they use that as uh, to look after their families or look after themselves. So that is taken away from you in oh. prison. You don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. You've got all that time to reflect on your what you've done wrong to get into prison. So, you know, that thought that uh, you know it, it is a microcosm, but most probably the worst possible mm-hmm. you know uh, elements of our society are, I suppose you know, exaggerated in prison. Um, but, you know, jumping on your bandwagon of, you know, uh, in terms of sayings uh, and, and quotes, uh, I'm going to quote uh, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, Mirza Mazra Ahmad, may Allah be his helper. And, you know, he actually gave advice uh, in uh, to the actual uh, youth association mm-hmm. regarding this. Now, uh, he said, many of you have been blessed with children of your own and are now directly responsible for the next generation of our community. The true role and value of a father is illustrated by the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, that there can be no greater gift that a father bestows to his child other than inculcating within them the best morals and virtues. If you truly wish to bequeath uh, the best gift to your children, you must first look at them at yourself and ensure that you are acting virtuously, uh, acting virtuously and are a true role model for them. And with that, 
we go to the five o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome back to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talibman, and Imam Imran Akram. So our second uh, topic of the day, salvation, is it only for Muslims? Now, you know, is it true that only Muslims w- uh, can get to heaven and will get to heaven? Uh, or is it only truly believing Christians? Or is heaven just the domain of any particular persuasion of religion right uh, or maybe even heaven is open to all depending on which way your scales fall of that day of judgment um, mm-hmm. you know whether you know, uh, God Almighty is having a good day or a bad day <laughs> you never know so mm-hmm. you know uh, in this segment of the show we're going to discuss uh, some of the misconceptions about heaven and hell um, and as well as uh, salvation per se and what the true meaning actually of salvation is now, one of the most highlighted beliefs in the Holy Quran is the belief in the day of judgment. Physical death is not the end of man's existence, which Islam teaches us. Rather, it is the door to a higher form of life, which can bring a person closer to Allah, which depends on one's deeds in this life. Uh, what does it actually say regarding this in the Holy Quran, Imran? Yeah, so uh, Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran that and the great calamity, what a great calamity, and what should make thee known what the, what the great calamity is, the day when men will be like scattered thorns, and mountains will be like carted wool. Then as for him whose scales are heavy, he will have a pleasant life. But as for him whose scales are light, he will have hell as his scourge. So that shows the importance of uh, life after death in the Holy Quran and how mm, we will be judged according to our deeds. And uh, um, according to Islam, obviously, um, we'll talk about um, a different religion, that what their, the salvation uh, according to them and uh, what's their true meaning of salvation is. So the question of um, salvation is is uh, important, you know, in every religion. And... Um, um, the question for salvation is an important religious subject and we the whole, the whole purpose of following a religion concludes in it so according to um christian the meaning of salvation is the deliverance from the um punishment of um sin however this is not the true uh, meaning of salvation and we'll discuss uh, about uh, mm-hmm, this in mm-hmm. in the later show mm-hmm. yes. i mean it's it's possible that one uh in terms of sin right it's possible that one doesn't commit theft adultery or bear false witness uh, kills anyone or commit any other sin and still be unaware of Mm. salvation Mm -hmm. now is that a possibility now the true meaning of salvation uh, in terms of or through the lens of Islam uh, is the achievement of that eternal success and peace for which human nature craves and thirsts Mm -hmm. now uh, it is achieved only through the personal love of God and only after fully understanding him and establishing that perfect relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Now, the condition of this is that that love should actually be reciprocated on both sides. It shouldn't be a one-sided love. Mm-hmm. Now, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, has explained life in the hereafter in this respect. 
The Holy Quran has repeatedly affirmed that the life after death is not a new phenomenon, and all its manifestations are reflections of this life. It is also stated that in the hereafter, all the spiritual conditions of this world will be manifested. Will be manifest physically, both in the intermediate state and in the resurrection. Further, it has emphasized that there will be unlimited progress in the hereafter. In short, according to the Holy Quran, hell and heaven are both reflections of a man's life. And are not something new that comes from outside,、mm -hmm. and will be, but reflections of the spiritual conditions of this,、uh, of man in this life. Now, this is from his book,、uh, the Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam. So, if we ponder on that、uh, first of all,、uh, Imran,、mm -hmm. you know that is the concept、uh, that we hold as.、Uh, Believers in Islam that actually, you know, what we do in this earth,、uh, we we、uh, well, to my understanding, you correct me、mm -hmm. uh, if if I'm wrong here, is that we are、uh, a, we have two rules or two priorities. Yeah, one is unto our Creator,、right. Allah Taala,、right. uh, and to、uh, you know give Him respect, give Him praise,、mm -hmm. right?、Mm -hmm. Ask for His forgiveness. Uh, and his blessings at all times, and the second priority is to、um, have care and love and understanding to his、uh, creations, our fellow human beings. So, if salvation,、uh, the concept of salvation,、uh, and that life in the hereafter、uh, are to be understood, then you know what we were born sinless. Mm -hmm. Okay,、uh, untouched. But obviously, through nurture and nature, we grow up. We learn things, whether they are bad or good.、Uh, hopefully, good.、Um, but you know what? We are but humans. We are we are born to error. So to offset that error, we are given opportunities in our lives,、uh, in our whole life, to 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 to. Balance those scales by doing good things and good deeds,、mm -hmm. but we ourselves do not know whether those deeds are good or not, because ultimately, upon that day of judgment, will God actually weigh the good things and the bad things in our lives?、Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean,、um, if you、uh, if you look at the Holy Quran, the purpose of mankind um, um, is stated by the Holy Quran as Allah Almighty stated that、um, I have not created the jinn and the man. So that they worship me. So the here worship means to to basically mimic the attributes of God. For、mm -hmm. example, God is merciful. So you have to be merciful、um, towards the mankind. God is forgiving. So you have to be um, um, forgiving towards His creation. God is um, uh, He's um, just. You have to be just towards your、uh, towards His creation. So if you're fulfilling that、um, that very that purpose, and if you、um, basically um, Reflecting the and、um, the attributes of God as in the Bible and in the Holy Quran, it's said that you know、um, the the human is a is a、um, the God created human on on His image, which、mm -hmm. means that you know a man is capable 
of uh, um, of basically having those attributes of God and applying them uh, um, applying them to, to their daily life to their daily life yeah, and exactly. this is the uh, in my opinion the salvation and true um, <coughs> and true salvation is that when one's fulfilled the purpose of his very existence that is uh, when one uh, you know truly um, salvation the definition of salvation Mm, so uh, actually before we carry on Mm -hmm. uh, very remiss of me we've got an insta story Mm -hmm. right so our insta story was um, only Muslims will get into heaven so it's uh, open ended well actually not open ended question quite binary will only uh, Muslims get into heaven so what's the answer to that yeah so Have you got the answer? No, I. Well, oh, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll come. I'll, I'll come to the rescue, right? Mm-hmm. So, only three percent of the recipients said that that was true, whilst eighty-six percent said it was false, and eighteen. Or oh, sorry, sorry, uh, that can't be right. Even my percentage can't be that badly. <laughs> but most probably, eleven percent said not sure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So obviously. Is not just uh, heaven is is not just a place for Muslims, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that dispels a lot of uh, uh, our ideas there. Mm-hmm. But if we look at uh, salvation in terms of uh, other world religions, yeah, what does the Vedas tell us? Yeah, so it is important to know that all of the um, the world religions only Veda presents um, Parmeshwar, uh, which which is uh, their god, as vengeful and wrathful. Um, so they they oppose the uh, doctrine that uh, God Almighty forgives His servants for their sins through seeking forgiveness and uh, repentance. Oh, okay. And uh, Veda also teach that Parmeshwar uh, is the master of all creation and controls the fate of all living and one before whom all sinners are brought. So this is uh, unfortunate for mankind that he possesses the attribute of wrath, um, whereby he punishes sins with um, terrible punishment, but he does not possess the attribute that he can forgive anyone's sin through supplication and forgiveness. So the Veda have only one way, which is uh, altogether wrathful and vengeful, uh, unfortunately, uh, which is that for the uh, the leastest sin, it orders a long and endless chain of uh, incarnation. So basically, the concept of uh, the Veda is that, you know, um, God cannot uh, forgive. Mm-hmm. What he can do is just uh, punish you. Just punish you, and that's and not very <laughs> nice. <laughs> so just punish you, and in, they have this seven circles or, or mm-hmm. seven um, time reincarnation, mm-hmm. and they they believe that if you've done uh, bad deeds, deeds in this life, then you may become, you know, uh, like. Um, scorpion, or maybe you become oh, snake. So in, you're in reincarnated. You're reincarnated into a bad thing. Yeah. So I think this is a bit in line with the Buddhist concept of reincarnation. That if you do a good thing, or you've led a good life, then you'll be reincarnated into something nicer yeah. in the next life, mm-hmm. and henceforth, bad things in this life. True. Then you're, I don't know, some. Yeah, there's some nice snakes out there, I suppose. But anyway, <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, if we look at salvation for Christians, right? Christians agree that after Jesus, the revelation uh, has been sealed and left behind, and there is no way of receiving it. So he was the final prophet, let's say. Uh, therefore, the door of grace is closed till the day of judgment. Now, this may be the reason for their 
new proposition of a new way of attaining salvation, which is opposed to all principles, reason, mercy, or justice. It's believed that Jesus took upon himself the sins of the whole world and consented to the death on the cross. Uh, this is so that through his death, mankind can be delivered. Mm-hmm. They believe, or Christians believe, that uh, God put his innocent son to death to save sinners then and in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, f- we as Muslims, fail to understand how. Actually, you know, if you've got a bit of common sense, you um, fail to understand how the hearts of sinners can be purified from sin mm-hmm. and their own sin uh, through such an actual wrongful death, and how by an innocent one's innocent uh, slaughter right. would sinners past sins and future sins be forgiven mm-hmm. now this concept um, does oppose both justice and mercy uh, the basic attribute of God is mercy justice is also another form of mercy that we must uh, understand now the Christian belief that God loves the world and that he made uh, arrangements for his loving son Jesus to bear the sins of uh, his disobedient uh, people, unbelievers and wicked people in order to save the world from sin and hang him on the cross is untrue in every possible way uh, in terms of our Muslim and Islam's point of view, I should right. say. Uh, human consciousness does not support punishing an innocent person because of someone else's sin. It's just... Um, yeah, it's just contrary to common sense, yeah. really. Uh, you know, people are unaware that the idea that the sins of the entire world were put upon one person's shoulders and that the punishment of the sinners was removed straight away, you know, like a like that, mm-hmm. they're gone and placed uh, on the heart of Jesus, who is wholly impossible and totally false. Because if you think about it, Imran, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's almost like uh, you're getting a get-out-of-jail-free card, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so even if I weren't a Christian and I were to, okay, say, right, I can uh, become a Christian and then I'm going to go to heaven, right? right. Isn't that Absolutely. right, right? I mean, you're, you're, because... Mm-hmm. Any sins that I have, you know, partaken in mm-hmm. or will partake in have been absolved by the death of Jesus on the cross. Absolutely. I mean, it's illogical to believe, you know, these, uh, this concept. And obviously, you, as you mentioned that, you know, um, um, and lots of uh, I've, I've, I speak, I spoke many, to many Christians and, you know, um, they don't certainly believe some some um, a Christian that, you know, uh, if you believe in, 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 the, in, the, uh, um, in the crucifixion of Jesus, then you're, you can, you know, do whatever you want. But a lot of them also believe that. Uh, that's this that you can if you uh, believe in the salvation if you believe on the uh, death of the Jesus and that he died for your sins then you know you you're you're free you, to do anything so unfortunately this um, concept um, uh, is uh, not only you know uh, introduced the uh, contradicts the bible but al- also human conscious mm, because it's it is it's a contradiction in terms because mm. say for instance in modern life now right mm. Would say, for instance, you're an imam, I'm not, mm-hmm. right? So you're more uh, versed in theology than I am. That's a given. Mm-hmm. So um, if I were to sin 
and say, right, okay, uh, my friend Imran, mm -hmm. right, will absolve me of those sins. <laughs> That's the same, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Isn't that the same? Absolutely. And, right? and the thing is that, you know... Um, um, That's presuming you're my friend. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, they, they also believe that, you know, God is just. Mm -hmm. But what kind of justice is this that uh, he put his innocent son on mm -hmm. the cross uh, and not, you know, the sinner who done the actual sin? Mm -hmm. And what kind of justice is and yeah, it's it's it's, yeah. it's a bit kind of like skewed yeah, that yeah. that uh, value system. Mm -hmm. So, okay, we've poured enough uh, <laughs> on that one. So let's just quickly just look at Buddhism, right? So Buddhism uh, was not particularly focused on uh, in terms of ultimate salvation when it first began, but it began uh, as a way to address the suffering that actually exists in the world. Now, despite this, the Buddha's uh, teachings included a clear idea of that idea of salvation. And in early Buddhism, Nirvana was the means of salvation. Now, Nirvana is the end of reincarnation rather than a place or a state. Uh, it's a place where you want to get to, ultimately. It's important to know that Buddha mentioned nothing about Nirvana because he believed that focusing on the search of ultimate salvation would only result in more attachments and therefore more suffering. Mm -hmm. Uh, instead of making Nirvana their main goal, Buddhists were encouraged to donate goods, services or money to monks or monasteries, to chant or copy sutras and to take part in other activities in order to obtain merit that might result in a more desirable rebirth, which would bring them closer to spirituality. Uh, as Buddhism evolved and as it moved to other countries with different religious backgrounds, other views of afterlife emerged uh, within that. Now, the concept of heaven and hells eventually became part of popular Asian Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, these range from perfect environments like the pure lands to the horrifying worlds of suffering and punishment. Uh, some Buddhist countries are known for their graphic hell scriptures, which show in detail the punishments one can expect for a variety of specific sins, from wearing tight blue jeans to murder okay mm -hmm. so maybe i think that tight blue jeans was that communist uh, version of hell uh buddhism has many different explanations on salvation and the afterlife even within a single nation there are many opposing ideas this is due to the merging of buddhism with uh, pre-existing ideas differences between academic and popular interpretations and the development of concepts actually within buddhism over uh, the history of the religion. Now, uh, we're going to go on to salvation in Islam, but uh, before that, we're going to be joined by our first guest of the day regarding this topic. So we're joined by uh, Anas Mahmood, who is a seventh-year Jamia uh, Ahmadiyya UK student. Peace and blessings be upon you, Anas. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Drive Time Show today. Peace and blessings upon you too. Thank you for having me. It's a great honour for me to be here. Really? Okay. Thank you. I'll take that to be a great honour to have you on our show as well. <laughs> it's reciprocated. Now, yeah. can you elaborate the verse mentioned actually in the beginning of the show? So I don't know if you were listening at the beginning of the show. Yeah, yeah. The the verses of uh, Surah Al-Qariya, uh, yes. the great calamity. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, elaborate for our listeners out there what the meaning behind or, you know, the commentary regarding this verse? Yeah, it, it relates a lot, to, actually, to what you were just talking about, you know, the concept of heaven and hell, especially mm -hmm. in, a, in a, you know, how you contrasted, uh, the, how you talk about the teachings of the uh, Buddhist scriptures. 
Um, the Islamic teachings are like are a great contrast to this. So the verse talks about this great calamity um, that is that will happen, that is prophesied to happen, mm-hmm. and it says that uh, you know it asks the reader, what is the great calamity, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, what and what we should make the know what the great calamity is. So this shows that the calamity that is being you know referred to in this verse it would be so catastrophic that one is one cannot imagine or conceive of how dreadful it will be. And if, if you can't conceive of how dreadful it will be, you can't, you know, you can much less put it into words. So it, it gives us this effect. And then it says, again, it repeats, uh, what, we should, what should we make thee know what the great calamity is? And then it says, um, the day when men will be scattered like moths. Mm-hmm. So because it's such a, you know, it's inconceivable for the human mind uh, to, you know, conceive of how many, uh, of how dreadful the calamity will be, a few of its horrible effects have been pointed out. And um, uh, this has been shown through saying the day when men will be scattered like moths. So mm-hmm. there'll be no unity when everyone will be fending off them for themselves. It's giving off this, you know, this very uh, horrific uh, or this very, you know, stark description mm-hmm. of uh, what uh, is the end of days is going to be like. So that is the main subject matter mm-hmm. of this whole uh, surah, the, the verses that were cited in the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the mountains will be carded wool. So it's just to give that idea that, uh, you know, at the uh, in this period of the end of days and actually the, I suppose, the, the termination of, you know, life as we know it. Uh, and that is, you know, that apocalyptic end of days. Yeah, absolutely. It's difficult for us to imagine, you know, how mm. mountains, something so set in stone, something like, you know, these massive rocks, mm. how can they actually turn into carded wool? It just it shows mm. that, it just reinforces the idea that, you know, as humans, our intellect does not reach that far. But doesn't the last part of this this this, this chapter give us mm-hmm. hope, right? You know, uh, you know. Then, as for him whose scales are heavy, he will have a pleasant life. But for him whose scales are light, he will have hell as his resort. Uh, yes, it says. Um, yeah, so it does give the hope that uh, you know, for people who are, uh, you, you know, who do good deeds in life, mm. who enjoy the rest, righteous life. Yeah, when they enjoy enjoy righteousness into their life, and you know they. Uh, they do good deeds that they, you know, they, they've got nothing to fear about because they're doing the right things. They're doing the moral, you know, just morally justifiable things that have been asked for them. Mm-hmm. So they will be, uh, they will not only be, you know, uh, rewarded in the in the hereafter, they'll also be rewarded in the present life. Well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, what is, because we've, we've spoken briefly regarding salvation in terms of other religions, uh, the Vedas, uh, Christianity, Buddhism. You know, what is the true philosophy of salvation in, uh, you know, through the um, the prism of Islam? Yeah. So we can contrast the, to understand, you know, what salvation actually is, we can, uh, if we look at the Christian religion, the mm-hmm. salvation is one, is how one can, you know, be uh, freed from the shackles of the original sin. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, that you know, humanity has supposedly inherited from you know the, the Prophet Adam upon whom mm-hmm. peace. So, if we contrast the teachings of Islam to it, Islam teaches that every you know uh, human is were born sinless, not with original sin. 
but the to attain salvation is through good deeds and to you know enjoying righteousness and to you know reflect deeper on God's divine qualities and if one you know reflects on the consequences of you know the good and bad actions they can you know they can understand what is inside of them and they can really they can understand the philosophy of repentance as well um, if you know, if one sins, or if one uh, if one hasn't done uh, according to the way of Islam, uh, they they can understand the true philosophy of repentance as well. And this all comes through. Uh, this all leads to uh, salvation. Astaghfar. That is that is repentance. And you know, um, thinking about what, what is uh, what is what God's being actually is deeper and deeper knowledge of God's qualities. And if we enjoy all of these qualities together. We can understand uh, the the true concept of salvation, which is you know to uh, to be saved by God Almighty and mm-hmm. thereafter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so Anas, um, how uh, I mean, how can one try to stay away from sins and and crimes having so much bad influence around us today in in society? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, you see, in, uh, as you know, we live in a society that's you know filled with vice, left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you know, to be, to safeguard yourself in this uh, in this sort of environment is you know is a necessity, but uh, is a very difficult job indeed. Uh, unfortunately, though, because we are we are Muslims and we have a guideline, we have a, uh, not just in the form of the Holy Quran and you know our religion and our, and our faith, we have a, we have guidelines to you know guide us on the right path and make sure that we don't stray off the right path and you know to be able to actually uh, protect yourself from like indulging in these vices and you know to uh, like enjoying a righteous life is the only way to do that is to you know stick to the scripture and you know the holy quran says and hold fast to the rope of allah and in this atmosphere you know this is this uh, the atmosphere the society that we live in it's like a whirlwind of vices mm-hmm. if you hold on to the rope of allah the scriptures and you know what our faith teaches mm-hmm. then only then it's a difficult job but then you know, once once you uh, once you've gained enough strength and once you once you have enough strength to, to like find it easy then uh, you will be saved and that is mm. um, but do we have do we have uh, say for instance within our community the Ahmadiyya Muslim community um, mm-hmm. we do have a beacon of light as well right uh, in yeah. uh, the guise of uh, Hazrat uh, Masru Ahmed, uh, Masru Tahir Ahmed, who leads us, uh, you know, every Friday, uh, we have uh, Juma, uh, we have mm-hmm. our sermon, or well, he has his Friday sermon, mm-hmm. which is um, yeah. broadcast to the corners of the earth. And in that broadcast, he actually gives, um, like you said, like a, a, a uh, guidelines as to how to as simple as you know just you know uh, have your daily day right and when I say daily day mm. what I mean is like you know when you wake up how you're supposed to be how you're supposed to um, treat your fellow human being and you know it's those things uh, uh, with the addition of the Holy Quran which I always like saying is the highway code of your life um, yeah, just, no, absolutely. Uh, this is uh, something that sets us apart from other Muslims, and uh, this is something that the, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is so lucky to have, and something that no other Muslims have, mm-hmm. which is Khilafat. Mm, exactly, uh, and you know, in in that sense, 
Um, so how can one really achieve uh, true love of God uh, as it's, you know, obviously one of these is, uh, is essential to attain, uh, you know, salvation? Yeah, because uh, true love of God is, uh, when one achieves true love of God, they not only, it doesn't, uh, uh, it not only becomes easy for one to, you know, uh, find happiness in this world, it, it, it really, uh, and like, uh, it enables them to be happy in the hereafter as well, because uh, when one finds true love of God, um, it, it enables him to carry out the path of Islam in in a very uh, concise and, you know, easy manner. Mm-hmm. So true love of God is only possible when you invest into true love of God. If if, if you invest into anything, there's a rule of thumb uh, in, every, in every sphere of life. But how do uh, you, invest you invest in it? Yeah, so you're giving me a kind of like a bit of a pivoty type of answer, right? Uh, I'm going to mm. I'm going to pin you down now, Anas. Yeah. So how do you invest right. in that then? You can invest in it by you know asking of what's asked of you. So like mm. five daily, if you you know five daily prayers are you know a, a thing that we have to do. Right. But not just five daily prayers. If you, if when you find time, just do you know a voluntary prayers mm. with uh, the nuffle voluntary prayers with it, so that you are trying your utmost best to achieve this connection with God. Mm. Reading the Holy Quran every day and not just reading the Arabic and reciting the Arabic. You have to you know read the translation, ponder over the meanings of it, read the commentary. Try and enjoy it into every sphere of your uh, of your life, and this is, it's doing stuff like this. That is investing into your mm-hmm. religion, investing time into your religion, mm-hmm. and that will really bear the fruits of attaining the love of God Almighty. Mm-hmm. Well answered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and as, uh, be- before heading uh, to the to our last question, I just wanted to ask you. Uh, you know, um, there are some Muslims, um, you know, denominations and uh, sects that and, and they believe that you know. Um, that if you just believe in the Holy Prophet Sallallahu and, and the Allah, that you, you got your salvation. Where did this idea come from? So this uh, idea, of, idea of, you know, just believing in the yeah. Holy Prophet Sallallahu and uh, believing in God Almighty. Oh, okay, so they say that this, uh, this, only this is required for salvation. Mm-hmm. I would say that this idea is, um, finds its roots in the early days. Of Islam, right, right. right? So in the early days of Islam, the after the uh, passing of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the and in the in the times of the uh, the Khulafa Rashidin, the mm-hmm. Caliph Supra, who succeeded the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, there was you know the, the, as Islam was expanding and it's uh, greatly expanded quite rapidly, mm-hmm. and uh, the large numbers of people were joining Islam in uh, you know in great numbers, and as ex- Islam expanded to you know Egypt and Syria and right. uh, Levant. So as a, a you know a large quantity of people were joining Islam, the the system of uh, tarbiyat or the spiritual upbringing of people mm-hmm. it didn't catch up in the same way. So what happened was that uh, some of these ideas of um, uh, some, some of these ideas of, uh, of from Christianity, such as the sonship of Jesus Christ, uh, they start, slowly started making their way into it. So hence. Uh, in these days, you know, Muslims have the belief that you know Jesus is still alive in the heavens. Right. This came from the Christian, uh, like from the Christian belief. This is mm-hmm. inherited in those times, mm-hmm. and uh, that is how it actually started coming uh, coming into Islam. And this how today's Muslims mm-hmm. they uh, they inherited it from from mm-hmm. that. Oh yeah, I'm um, also talking to someone and. Um, they were saying as well that you know um, some of the the tradition and, and the saying of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam uh, they find and they misinterpret that uh, the saying and and the the tradition of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and also you mentioned that you know the Chris, uh, 
um, this idea could be come from a Christian accepting Islam because in Christianity there's the belief that if you you know believe in the salvation in the crucifixion of Jesus that Jesus died for your sin then you are good to go so I think uh, you're um, there, there could be various reason as well so the last question yeah. is that you know uh, what does Islam say about salvation regarding non-muslim it is possible for them to achieve salvation Uh, yes, it is possible for them to achieve salvation because the uh, the final decision for, you know, if someone goes to heaven and hell, I don't make that decision. You don't make that decision. Only God makes that decision. Mm-hmm. God Almighty is the judge for uh, uh, for how for if, whether a person goes to heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. Our job as human beings is to uh, do is to, you know, uh, lead a righteous life and do good deeds. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for non uh, see Islam is the uh, the way to do that. Islam is the actual uh, last religion for mankind and Islam, the teachings of Islam are exactly that to uh, to fulfill the rights of God and to fulfill the rights of mankind that makes it you know uh, that is that uh, for someone who is a muslim their whole life is full of good deeds now if for someone who's not not a muslim and they still enjoy uh, good deeds and read a li- lead a, a righteous life there's no reason for God Almighty's uh, mercy to be not applied to them because mm-hmm. uh, God Almighty is all merciful. He, God Almighty will make the decision. So, yes, it is possible for non-Muslims to achieve salvation. However, Islam is the true religion. Islam is the way forward. And uh, if you, if one is a Muslim, they will be uh, they will be leading their lives in a righteous manner in the in the proper way. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon, Anas. Uh, thank you for Likewise. joining us on the uh, Drive Time Show. Okay, thank you. thank you. Have a good day. O two O eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. So um, we're talking about. Uh, so I think really mm-hmm. uh, you could just end that sec- segment, let's say, right, mm-hmm. with salvation in Islam. Then, right, right. you know, how do, how do we actually find it? Um, reiterating the points that Anas actually came through. Yeah. So first and um, most importantly, um, th- there is no concept of inherited sin in Islam, and we are all born without any uh, sin or uh, or um, you know sinful condition. Um, we are all born without any sin or sinful condition. So an example of this uh, is just like often a child is born with any type of uh, abnormality. It's not a punishment for any. Uh, sin um, um, parents or uh, forefathers so according to the uh, the second caliph uh, caliph of Amdi Muslim community Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmad may Allah be pleased with him uh, a simple definition of sin is sin is an activity which renders the human soul sick and incapable of viewing the face of God difficulties have to be encountered in the journey which the soul undertakes as it moves forward the purpose of its creation activities which activities which uh, amount to uh, sinning are either physical uh, whose danger are visible to one self as well as to other or they are uh, spiritual so also he also um, described that there are three kind of sins and just uh, like there are three kind of virtues as well so sins and virtue which relate to the heart this is number one Uh, these indica- these indeed are the real virtues or vices number two sins and virtues of the tongue or expression and number three s- sins and virtues which uh, entitle the use of the other physical 
organs like hands, feet, eyes, etc. So Islam teaches that every person's salvation is dependent upon its own actions. Mm. And until a person himself uh, adopts virtue and righteousness, he cannot be completely, you know, um, um, free from sin, vice and vices and flaws, and therefore he will be unworthy of salvation. So, according to Islam, one can attain salvation through its good deeds, and uh, um, God willing, will uh, in the later sh- uh, in the in a later um, coming. Um, um, minutes we'll discuss about that what mm. was the the point of view of the Holy Prophet regarding the salvation Mm-mm. and uh, you know you know we're talking about the view of Islam mm-hmm. you know these actions that we talked about you know are you know that actions in themselves are necessary because it's through them that grace can be attained mm-hmm. and it's through God's almighty uh, grace that one can actually attain this salvation so Ultimately, without good deeds, it's impossible. You know, this it's a it's a given, right? right. You're gonna have to do good deeds right. to achieve salvation. Mm-hmm. But uh, to speak more about this, we're joined by our last guest of the day, uh, Asma Rana. Now, Asma is a new convert uh, to Islam and found out about uh, Ahmadiyat Islam uh, when she was studying abroad in Georgia. Uh, peace be upon you, Asma. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show today. Assalamu alaikum. for having me. Mm. I believe I was speaking to you before regarding this, but uh, it's always a pleasure speaking to you, Asma. Tell uh, us a little bit about your journey uh, to Islam, Ahmadiyyat, and uh, you know how how you got here. Okay. Um, Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Uh, my name is Asma Rana. And um, so first, I, I got to know about Islam Ahmadiyya actually when I moved abroad in Georgia to um, start my medical journey. Mm-hmm. And it was there I um, there I encountered and you know came to know about Islam Ahmadiyya. So one day I was actually sat with my friends, um, we were discussing about Islam, and I remember my friend just mentioned or oh, the you know, how Ahmad is against persecution and in Pakistan and this is the first time I've actually um, heard about the word Ahmadi mm-hmm. Ahmadiyat and um, I remember they were talking about they were not Ahmadis by the way and then they were just saying they're kind of saying that how they believe what they believe is not right mm-hmm. um, they were not exactly saying that it's um, they agreeing with the persecution at the same time but um, I didn't really ask many questions but I just said you know if Abu Sallallahu was alive today he would be very, you know, disappointed in us. Just people are getting persecuted just because they believe in, um, they have certain faith to believe in something. Um, they shouldn't get persecuted by, by it. Um, and after that, um, there was actually an individual at the university who helped people settle into the country. Um, so after a few months being there, and I required this individual assistant um, with actually academic matters. Mm-hmm. Um, after which we started to converse about um, Islam and death of Isa Salam, and which was this. This has been always been an interest, you know, very interesting topic for me because before I experimented, I've always wondered the because of the situation or what's happening like in the world, like what the Muslim the Muslim was facing. I've always wondered, like, you know, when is Islam's coming? Because all the signs have oh, been there. It's yeah. been, yeah, have come. And um, when is Islam coming? I've always had that in my head. But then growing up, um, you know, in Muslim family, and we've always believed that he's going to come one day, that all the fairy tales believe in he's going to come down in your horse one day, and then, you know, um, mm-hmm. 
save the ummah and fight against the Dajjal. Mm-hmm. And so when I was speaking to the individual, the individual says, um, you know, do you really believe that Isa al-Islam is still believe, um, and alive? Because once someone goes to uh, heaven, they don't come back. And mm. it really, like, really intrigued me. I was like, it is true. Then this, this individual sent me some verses of the Quran, actually, where it's, even like where it says everyone has to, um, every soul shall um, test death, right? Mm-hmm. So if Alayhisselam was human being, just like everybody else, yes, he was a messenger, um, but still he was a human being. If our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam passed away, he was the greatest prophet. Mm-hmm. Um, why wouldn't he come back? And why? Yeah, exactly. Why would he come back? Yeah. And it really, you know, all that's really intrigued me. And, I'm, and it was actually Ramadan during 2020. And I started doing my research and I started looking into those verses. I'm thinking there's one uh, Isa Alayhisselam said, um, I was a watcher of a obviously he was sent for the Bani Israel and he said, I was watcher over them but when you took me away mm-hmm. uh, it's you now who's watching over them so it's telling God if they're worshipping me now it's not my fault mm-hmm. and it's, I really that verse really got stuck to me and I started doing research and I was asking this individual more questions and this individual sent me this book called Jesus in India mm-hmm. and I read the book Jesus in India and usually um, when I read book I have to have to have to see who the author is and this time only this time I didn't because I was so intrigued I started reading the book and in the I just as I was reading it I was like gaying you know when you've read it actually Jesus Salam, passed away and mm-hmm. um, and I, in my heart, I started praying loads, and I started asking Allah to me towards the right path, and started waiting for Tahajjud. Because um, when I read this, I kind of, in my heart, I kind of believed Kaisa uh, mm-hmm. Pastor because he was a human being. Mm-hmm. I just, I just didn't want to believe it at the same time because of what I've been, um, what I, because of what I believed all my life. And then I, then the individual asked. This individual more questions. This individual sent me the book called Philosophy, Philosophy and Teaching of Islam. Mm-hmm. The book, Philosophies. and I started reading the book. I read, yeah, so I read that book, um, and I was just like, absolutely all of it. Um, and I, when I read this book, I asked this individual because at this point, I saw it said something Ahmed, yes, and I said to the individual, Ahmed, isn't something, and um, you know, I didn't want to say it. And I was like, isn't something you know, people talk bad about them? And then this person, don't worry about it, just read the books, don't worry about who the author is. And I'm so, I'm so um, happy, alhamdulillah, blessed that I didn't look into it. And I didn't, you know, see who the author was. I didn't Google it or I didn't YouTube because I knew that if I did, I probably would have got uh, the wrong idea of it. And I probably wouldn't have carried on uh, reading those books. Mm-hmm. And after that, um, after those, actually, I started watching MTA to increase my knowledge, my understanding of the Jamaat. I started praying to Allah for um, guidance, to, you know, show me the right path to be. And now, this is when I had my first dream. Um, and my first dream, I was in a mosque um, that I used to attend when I was a young girl. Um, there was, um, I was surrounded by children who were learning Arabic. I asked the children if they knew about the Jamaat Ahmadiyyat. Um, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I knew the children weren't Ahmadis themselves, so I began to tell them about Jumaat Ahmadiyyat and uh, the promised Messiah has come. Whilst I was telling them about the promised Messiah, the Imam of the mosque entered the same room who began to oppose my views of Jumaat Ahmadiyyat and tried to silence me from telling the children. 
occasion defending Ahmedis against the Imam, and I said that the Imam could not stop me um, from telling the children. And I was kept, and then I actually stood uh, before the Imam when I was when I was talking to him, and he was telling me off not to. And I saw my brother um, Khalid, who was in my dream defending um, my Ahmed believes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there on, I started doing more, more, and more research. Even though it makes me really sad to say this, even though in my heart I believed, you know, the truth was, mm-hmm. I just didn't want to accept it. I was being in the ground. I didn't want to accept it. So I was asking Allah to show me more signs. Well, it's going against what you believe. Well, what you've been taught before, so it's understandable. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So it was very hard for me to come out, the come out of my shell, mm-hmm. and to actually see the truth. But I've always kept an open mind and open heart to it. And then this day. Um, I had another day, my second dream, where I was sat with three boys between the, what they looked like age of 50, sorry, 10 to 15 years old. Um, and they, they were in a room reciting the Holy Quran in front of an imam. It looked like, in my dream, as if it looked like that we were in Saudi, somewhere in Saudi. Mm-hmm. And then the, you know, the environment, the orientation, the um, the mosque and the imam he was wearing, like, he looked like, the, as if, like Saudi imam or something. Um, and we were sat in a, in a room, and one of the boys started telling me that he wanted to go back to Jamaat Ahmadiyat, but he was also telling me not to tell the Imam. If he said if he found, he would get told off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so, so I, to this, I responded to the young boy, and I said to him, if you, sh- you shouldn't fear anything, if you want to go back to Jamaat Ahmadiyat, then you should do so. And the, the, I had the same conversation, uh, same conversation occurred with the second boy and third boy. And they were saying, telling me um, they want to go back to Kadhiyah. And I, mean, I, they, I, I told them, if you want to go back to Kadhiyah, you should go back to Kadhiyah and do not fear anyone. Mm-hmm. If, anyone was, if, if anyone finds out, you should not, you should only fear Allah. And I said that and I woke up and this is my second dream. Mm-hmm. And I carried on doing my research again and again, and I, in my heart I knew the truth again, but I just didn't want it to end. And then one day I remember I started, I did enough on the Mars before I went to bed, uh, after my Asian Mars. And during my Mars, I cried a lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and I asked Allah, please show me the right part because I, I know the truth, but how do I accept it? It's mm-hmm. like I know the truth, but I just don't want to accept it. I'm being mm-hmm. an ignorant. So this is there in my third dream occurred. In my third dream, I was holding our current beloved Hazur hand, taking bath. So I was taking bath with Hazur hand, where I saw, I saw a long line of girls wearing black hijab, and we were all taking bath together. Now, because I've been to Jalsa now, and as if so, because I've not been to Jalsa, and I know that Jalsa environment and how it is, mm. and I felt like going back to my third dream, I feel like I was in Jalsa. And I felt like that was holding his hand. It was like so many so people So that was exactly there. the same. Everyone like taking, taking bath. Yeah, it's the, um, and then at the same time, as well, I was uh, taking bath. I asked Hazir to lead my nikah as well. Mm-hmm. And that was my third dream I had. Wow. And after that, there was no way I could... Yeah, I you could, just couldn't deny the truth I, of, of the matter. I couldn't deny the truth anymore. Uh, yeah. so, so in some senses, uh, Asma, that's how you have found your salvation in Islam. Well, it's been yeah. uh, you know, a pleasure listening to your journey to Islam. Thank you for joining us this afternoon on the uh, Drive Time Show. Thank you so much Thank for you. having me. Peace and blessings be upon you. 
Right, uh, 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Um, just before we uh, come towards the end of the show, we're going to play you an audio clip of uh, Mirza Tahir Ahmed, the fourth Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community regarding salvation. But just before that, a big thank you to our producers, Hania Mubarak, Rabita Khan and Amtul Nur Tayyiba, and also to uh, our uh, engineer of the day, Zishan. Thank you very much. And to my co-host, Imran Akram. And this was Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. Another question. Yes, please. What does your community believe about Jesus' resurrection and salvation? I think you're... I have already answered, but I'll further elaborate this from this, from the angle of this question. What we believe is that Jesus was miraculously saved by God in accordance with the promise he had made him, himself. So the miracle did not lie in the fact that he once died and then was revived from the dead. The miracle lay that he was never permitted to die. He survived the trials of death which, through which he suffered. There are two reasons why I believe that according to the testimony of Jesus Christ himself, he was promised an escape from such an ignoble death. Number one, before the crucifixion, he told his disciples that he would leave them and go in search of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Right or wrong? You remember that? Yes. So if he died upon cross and was revived from the dead, did he go in search of the house, lost sheep of the house of Israel or not? This was a prophecy. Why did he not fulfill it? What right had he, after having said, committed himself to that journey in pursuit of the lost sheep of the Israel, of Israel to have flown up into heaven? So that was a contradiction. That very belief that he ascended to heaven is a contradiction of Jesus' own commitments. <coughs> he was a true prophet and that is exactly what we, what we take him to be and we believe in him. To be a very true and a very highly placed prophet, highly ranked prophet of Allah. So when he said, I will go to the, in search of the lost sheep of Israel, it must, he must have made this commitment because of some divine revelation. And he could not break that promise. Number two, when he prayed to God, prior to the day when he was ultimately crucified or attempted to be crucified, he kept on praying to God and coaxed his disciples who went to sleep. Is this the night to go to sleep? Wake up and cry with me and pray to God, pray to, pray to, pray to God the Father to take away this bitter cup of death. This is a very important prayer 
which must be understood by all the lovers of Jesus Christ. Because it proves two things. Number one, he did not offer himself as sacrifice voluntarily for the sake of so-called redemption of sinful people. Had that been ever intended, he would never have prayed to God to take away this bitter cup from him. There are two contradictory things. Number two, the way he prayed, I do not believe that that prayer was not accepted. Why I do not believe it? Because the last cry he is reputed to have made was Eli, Eli, Lema, Shabakpani. If God had finally rejected his prayer and he was told that he must die, he must drink this bitter cup, then what a surprise that was. Why? Have you abandoned me? Or could you abandon me? This was not a cry of disbelief. This was a way of praying to God, reminding him his promise. You, the, the night before, told me that your prayers have been accepted. What do I see? I seem to be on the verge of death. This is the true meaning of that cry, Eli Eli Lemashabhaktani. So it could not have been abandoned by God. He was saved miraculously and thereby proved to be a true prophet of God against the counterclaims of the Jews of his period, his time. They inferred from the biblical prophecy that if somebody attributes false uh, revelations to God, that God had spoken to him and it was not true, he would hang by the tree to death. And if he dies, then he is to be taken definitely as a liar. So Jesus was not a liar. The perverted claim that he died for the sake of us, so he was not a that does not carry any sense. The biblical statement was absolutely clear about it. If a man is a liar against God, he will be punished by death upon the, 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 the tree that is Every, every scholar understands it to be crucifixion. So he must have escaped that death, that ignoble death. And this is exactly what we believe in. We believe him to be a true, honest, highly ranked prophet of God who made prophecies after he had received revelation from God and all his prophecies got fulfilled, including that are pursuing the course of the earlier Israelites and including that of escape from the death upon cross.